Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. And today I'm speaking with Christian Springhub. Hi, Christian. Hey, Gunnar. <laughs> It's good to see you again. Happy New Year. Thanks. Yeah, same to you. <laughs> and a year ago, I didn't probably expect to talk to you on this podcast because you were not originally in mobility, but you just joined the industry in a big way. Where are you from originally and what did you just launch as a service? So I'm, I mean, I'm from Hamburg originally. We share the same hometown. That's why we, <laughs> that's, that's why you probably didn't expect me to be in, in Mobility, but yeah, basically we we launched an e-bike subscription service. So you get your own e-bike fully serviced. If you have an issue, we stop by within a day and repair it. You get it delivered to your door. And yeah, we want to basically allow everyone to 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 jump on that healthy mode of transportation in a frictionless way. Your service is called Dance, and we can talk about how that name came about later, but you launched with a splash because it's not your first venture. You have basically built one of the leading, most known tech companies also in Hamburg before. And then your co-founders did a huge uh, story in Berlin. So where did you come from originally? What was your company before this? Yeah, so my, my company before this was, um, or is called Jimdo. It's an online website creator, quite successful out of Hamburg. And my, my co-founders founded and led uh, SoundCloud for, for over 10, 10 years. So I think SoundCloud is the even bigger name when it comes to, to awareness, I guess. Um, yeah, so we, we all have not been in the, in the mobility space at all. All have been in software. What is the same, though, now is that we have, we, we have seen the world changing to subscriptions, right? So like I started in software when you still had CDs and Uh, the companies try to sell you a yearly update, mm -hmm. um, and then you would get a new CD with like a <laughs> with like an update package. And in in music, it was obviously similar, right? You bought CDs, and now you basically listen to streaming. So we have seen that, and one of the key ideas to transfer that over to mobility, right? Like why why buy and own a vehicle and have all the hassle when you can subscribe to one? There are a lot of subscription business models in mobility now in the last maybe two years that launched and were very successful with different vehicle types. So why did you choose this type? Why not car subscriptions or maybe also kick scooters that are so dominant in sharing at the moment? Why did you go after the e-bike? Yeah, so I mean, I think for us, this is, and especially because it's the, it's the second venture, it was really about doing something that has, an, has a good impact on the planet we live in. And we, for very different reasons, got really excited about kind of making cities more livable and a better place. So like, yeah, I started to really dislike cars, especially when I got kids, like just noisy, dangerous. They kind of limit, limit the space, like the, the, the open space in cities. So, and for us, like bikes were always kind of the main mode of transportation. And then I don't know, we all had this e-bike awakening moment, right? Like, it's like in the beginning, it was like, oh, this is for old people, right? And then you're the first time on an e-bike and you realize, wow, this is actually fun. And then what happens is it, it increases your range, right? So all of a sudden you're like, oh, 
I go visit my friend that lives 15 kilometers away. And before it was like, oh, do I take the train or how do I get there? Because your regular bike, then you're like, oh, I'm doing an exercise now and I don't want to ride sweaty and hmm. I'm, I'm not in the mood. And with an e-bike, all of a sudden you take all those trips without really thinking about it. So, and then it goes into kids transportation and so on. But, but anyway, like we, we, we started to really see how e-bikes can change the cities, but at the same time, how complex and expensive they are. And then we kind of combined the doc, uh, the, the dots and we're like, okay, e-bikes as a service is what would actually get a lot of people excited and would have a positive impact. Can you talk about that a little bit, the hardware you said, um, you saw how complex and expensive they were. So what do you think is the state of available hardware at the moment? And to what extent is that also a barrier to adoption? Yeah, so I mean, e-bikes, I would say, I mean, they, they're definitely on a run right now and they got a lot better. <laughs> But it's, it's still a complex product, right? It's like you're you trying to bring something powerful like a big battery and a motor and electronics into a vehicle that, that has that should be as slim and slick as possible and as, as, as lightweight as possible. So building it properly and making it a fun ride while being like easy to maintain and service and kind of reliable is a big endeavor. And then I think it just comes, comes down to when you, when you buy a bike, you're basically, you are bound to the service network and the service network for e-bikes is just, is very fragmented. It's usually mom and pop shops, long waiting times. If you have an older vehicle, you usually like, oh yeah, we can't service that anymore. It's too expensive anyway. So you're in this kind of loop that you have to buy a new one every, I don't know, one year, two years, three years, what, whatever it might be. But I would say too fast. And we are trying to just like change that in a way that, that a vehicle is on the streets all the time and lasts longer. Yeah. So you basically said the world's moving to subscriptions or maybe more abstract kind of access over um, ownership. And then you were concerned about the setup of cities and the role of cars and taking up a lot of space. And you had your own experience in using an e-bike and you saw it's actually fun and it increases your range a lot and you have a lot more use cases that are covered. But then why didn't you launch basically e-bike sharing service? I mean, take Tia <laughs> and many others and just put them on the streets, free floating e-bikes everywhere. Why do you think subscription is your better model then? So I think, I mean, I think every, every model has its market, right? And I think like I'm, I'm personally very thankful for a lot of good things that came out of sharing. I don't know, like this kind of solving the last mile and short trips is, is awesome. But I think an e-bike is definitely more of a, of a personal vehicle. You kind of, you, you, you want to know it's available. You want to know what it is and you want to know, like you, you want to transport things with it and so on. So it's kind of when, when you think about commuting, dropping off your kids at Kita, let's say like high use case for me, obviously, but then sharing just doesn't work the same way. Like you kind of, you want to get out of the house. You want to know your bike is there. You want to know that it works and You want to leave it at the place where you are. And when you go back home, you want the bike still there. And of course, that also has to do with like how much vehicles are actually available. But sharing is just, it's a little bit too, it's a little bit too frustrating to be completely dependent on every day. So that's, that's the one side. And then I think 
with an e-bike, you do a little bit longer trips as well, right? And shared vehicles are built for, like, they are like tanks, like, especially the shared e-bikes, right? So <laughs> they have to withstand, like, being being outside, some good portion of vandalism and so on. And And while it's great for, like, sometimes and like a short ride somewhere it's it's like your own personal vehicle you want something a little bit more appealing lighter i don't know cooler <laughs> for the lack of a better word but yeah i think i think sharing sharing and sub, sub subscriptions are basically like they can exist both it just depends on what what use case you're you're using on that specific day or for that specific reason mm -hmm. If you really depend on it in the day-to-day, -day, then sharing is just a little bit too painful. It's too much friction. Every time you get out of the house of the Kita, you basically have that uncertainty if you will find something. But also, you talked about like the design freedom that it gave you, and it doesn't have to be a sharing bike. It can be cooler. It can be lighter and so on. And I guess the, the trade-off there is the price point. I mean, I use WeShare a lot right now. It's sometimes very cold and often very rainy in Hamburg and all that. So I, I do like an electric car to get around and have that. But then, and sometimes there is an availability question, but if I wanted that subscription model, it would just set me back 500, 600 euros a month. What's your price point going to be and how affordable do you think that is for most people? So at the moment, our sub subscription is 79 euros a month, but mm -hmm. it's definitely placed in the more premium segment right now i mean at the moment we also we have a bit of a there's higher costs for components supply chain shipping all those things and there's a bit of a there's not an enough availability like mm -hmm. those things are rare so i i would expect that price point to to come down over time mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's the price i think what what's important to to think about in a monthly price is that it's not only the vehicle, but it's also the whole service and everything, right? If something breaks, you get a replacement within a day or you get it repaired. You can take it wherever you want to take it. You can take it for as long trips as you want to and so on. So, but yeah, and, 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 and I mean, let's say you move to a different city for six months, then you just return it and get a new one when you're back. And all those things I think are different to, to kind of ownership. But yeah, subs, Subscription is definitely the right thing if you use a vehicle kind of on a regular basis. If you want to use a vehicle three times a month, like sharing definitely is better, right? Um, and in the case of your, your e-bike, that translates into a monthly price that's affordable for most people, I guess. But you also yeah, mentioned well, when it breaks down and so on, makes me think before my bikes ever broke down, they got stolen. Um, so like maybe five or six times in the last 10 years in Hamburg, unfortunately. And how do you cover that? What happens then? So, yeah, I mean, theft is real and it's a big, it's a big thing that, that we also trying to solve with sub sub subscriptions. I think the good thing, first of all, is that, I mean, it's the same as with the sub sub uh, subscription model in general, it puts those things Like it's our responsibility and we have to improve that. So we have to, the, to make the bikes more secure against theft because if a theft occurs, it's ultimately our cost. I mean, we have a small deductible of like 200 euros so that it's kind of that you're not reckless with it, let's say. But in general, it's like if a bike is stolen, it's always bad for us. And so that's, 
that's why theft or like theft prevention is is a big thing for us. So we try to solve like it with integrated locks, with strong locks, with tracking, with alarm systems and so on. And there's still like a ton of improvements to be made, but that's a problem we have to solve instead like where ownership, you can buy a very expensive bike, but theft is ultimately is your your problem. And so it's kind of, it's part of this kind of frictionless package if you if you so will. Mm-hmm. So you just got started, I think maybe about six months ago. So as a company, you're live in Berlin. Hamburg is launching mm-hmm. tomorrow. And uh, it's, I think, about 79 or even 29 at the beginning. I'm hopefully getting a, one delivered tomorrow <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> and where do you see this going? What do you think the potential is? Are, are you looking at Germany for the most part um, for the next two years or already internationally? And how many bikes do you envision running in about two years? Yeah, so so I mean, maybe to just recap on that, we did like a small pilot in Berlin for about a year with like bikes mm-hmm. we just bought to just like learn about how this whole business works and so on. And then we officially launched, uh, launched Berlin um, last, God, now it's last year. <laughs> I'm used to say this year, but this was last year now. So, so and there, I mean, We unfortunately didn't launch in the summer, and this is mostly because of all the shipping and supply chain issues that that everyone faced. And now we are we are starting like what we call a pilot in in Hamburg, and this is this is mostly for us to build up a user base in in Hamburg and to kind of learn how it is to to operate a second city and so on. That's why also we have this special offer for 29 euros for four months, also because I don't know January is not where where most people get totally excited about thinking about biking, unfortunately. But we we hope this helps a little bit over that hurdle. But yeah, for the for the expansion, we're definitely thinking Europe already. I, I can't share any did like like plans, but we'll def- definitely launch in more cities even in in Europe and not not only Germany this year already. And then I think next year is I mean is that it's as open as it can be, right? I think it definitely depends a bit on the on the on the market response, on how well we see it goes, but also on how fast can we scale the vehicles, how fast can we get more, how well do they work? I mean, there's a big hardware play <laughs> involved, obviously. Yes. And let's talk about that more. I mean, on the one hand, you have The advantage when you are in subscription, not in sharing that you don't need to deal with cities, I believe, directly, right? It's correct. And I mean, we want to, uh, sorry, just to say that we definitely try to engage with the cities because we think we will have an impact and we think it's something like if we, if our service scales in a city, I think it will help the city to get more people on Mm e-bikes, but it's not like it's personal vehicles. So we don't need a permission to, Mm -hmm. to bring a fleet to the streets or something like that. So you don't need to gain licenses and you don't risk being thrown out of a city necessarily, but your kind of hurdles to growth probably are, like you mentioned a few times already now, the supply chain availability of these goods. You are, have a premium positioning, so you uh, want to deliver a certain experience. And then competition. There are other subscription bike players out there and one's gotten yeah, more traction and coming from the land of biking in Europe in a way like from Netherlands, what are you planning to do differently than them? How, how do you think that you're going to gain market share over sort of those 
first entrants that are already there? Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a very good question. I think, I think first of all, I'm, I don't think this is kind of a one, one company game, I think. And, and I, I even hope that there will be more companies offering this because in the end, like I personally believe this, like the subscription category will grow and like definitely people will have different kind of needs, let's say. Right. And I, and I think it will take several companies to, to grow this and, and to have something for everyone. But that being said, I think we are, we're definitely seeing ourselves as like a more tech enabled premium. We have a very high stance on service on this whole frictionless, like kind of, we want to do that. You do basically everything in the app. Like you order your bike in the app. It just shows up magically. If you have an issue, you press a button in the app and it's, and it's solved. And also when you, when you look at the bike, kind of a premium vehicle that you, that has a certain appeal that you, that feels tech enabled and you kind of connect with it more. And I think the, the, the competition at the moment is more. I see it more as a bike company with stores not selling you a bike but but giving you a bike to to rent and I mean I have huge respects and I'm I'm very happy actually that they that they exist and and had so many people on on bikes by now I mean mostly regular bikes mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's great but but I think in this whole kind of service and tech approach I think that's that's kind of our stance and The last one is maybe like we definitely, we focus on electric mobility only. Like I think regular bikes are great, but we think the future basically lies in that, that people all get on e-bikes, even the ones who think they don't need it. Because I think what, what comes into play is what I mentioned earlier. As soon as you have one, you start thinking about how this replaces your car for longer trips or the bus for longer trips. Like everyone who has an e-bike basically has an opportunity to see that as the main mode of transport for every day. And I think that's what regular bikes can't achieve in the same way in bigger cities. Mm -hmm. How much um, of your time do you spend and how is your total team goes into this hardware and supply chain question compared to um, all the op other topics you have to deal with? You mentioned currently there are these interruptions in supply chain, but also in general, You had some mixed, let's say, comments about the quality of the available hardware. You want to be premium service. So you go your own route of your own development eventually. And how much of your success depends on actually being a hardware company versus a distribution network? Yeah, so, I mean, we definitely don't want to be a distribution network <laughs> only we we like to to us basically our product consists out of three pillars and that is kind of the tech software angle the hardware piece and the service piece and only if those come together nicely i think we can create an experience that that sets itself apart from from just using a regular bike and renting that out like and i would say our team is like I think it's even a third, a third, a third almost. <laughs> it's, it's probably not exact, but, but, but yeah, it's how we think about it. And, and, and hardware for us is, is a huge investment into, into R&D. It's also because we think only if we kind of, if we think outside of the box and are willing to develop 
something ourselves, we can we can compete with like a full service package instead of just with buying a bike off the shelf that you can buy everywhere else. And that is like, to be honest, most of the bikes and the components are just made to be sold, right? So mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's a frame and a million things clamped onto it, including the e-system. And while that's great and scales for the regular like bike retail, we don't think it works for us. It needs to be a more, a product that's fully integrated. Right. Only if we build a lock into the bike that's that somehow like works well with the software and enables our service to work seamlessly, only then it can be a successful product. Mm -hmm. And it's a very long way. And it's a like, I mean, I don't want to lie. It's definitely cost a lot of money and hardware development is is hard. <laughs> uh, and maybe it's unfair to ask kind of after only about a about a year and what you just mentioned about hardware development, but I noticed how you said you're playing in e-mobility, not just e-bikes. What's the natural extension after the original bike that you've launched now? What do you think, what other types of vehicles do people need that you also see yourself maybe offering someday? Yeah, I mean, it kind of, I think there's the obvious ones, right? Like, I think, like, um, I mean, e-bikes we believe the most in, right? It's We think it's the biggest category. It will grow by far. It's kind of, it's the best vehicle. But I think there's others that's, I mean, the obvious candidate obviously is cargo bikes, which is similar to e-bikes, but just kind of can replace a car even more. So, and then I think there's e-mopeds, which is, which is kind of, it lives on the street, but it's a great vehicle, especially when you compare it, like also when you compare it to a car, it's not as, good as an e-bike in a way, but it brings you a little bit further. It lifts or like drives on the street. So so we think that's that's an interesting vehicle for sure. Um, kick scooters, I think like honestly, those things you can even buy, I would say. They are kind of small. You want to carry them kind of cheaper. So we don't see that really. And kick scooters, I think, are great for sharing. Like I personally, I use Tier, for example, more and more. I think the, like when, when I think about the, the early versions, it was horrible, but now it's actually fun to ride. So, but anyway, sorry, <laughs> going, going, going back to the question. And then I think, I mean, definitely not cars. I think cars is just like even electric cars. That's, that's not our, that's not our approach. And then what, what I would be, and I don't know what vehicle that is, right. But, but the one thing that, that is, still annoying with e-bikes is that you are like that the weather is still there right it's still cold you need i mean i'm from hamburg so i say the weather doesn't matter your gear matters right so but uh -huh. i can see why people don't want to ride their bike in snow and i don't know what it is but i'm always super excited when i see these explorations of kind of I don't know, an e-bike car combination, e-bike with the roof somehow. I have not seen a vehicle where I would say that's it. But when whenever that appears, <laughs> I want to offer that as a subscription. <laughs> like and we will we will definitely not develop one or are not developing one. I think that's that's too much of an endeavor. But yeah, I would I would love companies to explore that. <laughs> it's yeah. I also totally think that's going to happen. I, I think that yeah, the e-bike boom that started last year is going to continue this year. The subscription that you're in is yeah, a super successful kind of 
business model, but it's also kind of a known form factor already. Just seeing bikes in the street, it's not totally new and that there will be something in between bikes and cars. And I was in Amsterdam a few times last year for a business basically. And when you're in downtown Amsterdam, you stand at an intersection. Every now and then you see like a little thing like coming by that looks like a golf cart or something, but much cooler designed. And there are these yeah, companies, I think, beginning to emerge in Europe that yeah, build microcars, basically, you know, something in between cars and e-bikes. And we've seen, like, we've just signed one client like that in sharing in Amsterdam before Christmas. There's a company that tried to launch it in Berlin this year, but it's not really visible yet. It's almost doesn't exist yet on the streets, but it definitely has has to somehow, yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. And then I think if you if you find a mix of something that can somehow go well on the bike lane, I mean, it requires better bike infrastructure, but also can go, I don't know, higher speeds on for longer trips or so. Yeah, would be amazing. Mm. <laughs> I think we're all waiting for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's your perspective on that supply chain and with the disruptions that are happening and stuff when it comes to, yeah, getting more resilient, maybe even manufacturing in Europe. Do you already have some strategies around? Um, I mean, do you basically think this is going to go back to normal eventually or there might continue to be interruptions so you have to hedge your bets somehow? How are you going to try to not make that, like mess up your timelines, those supply shortages and also trade wars or whatever is going on with taxes on bikes to China that, can change from one month to another? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a good question. It's definitely, it's it's a bigger issue than I would wish it, it, it be, of course. Like when when we started the company, this this didn't exist. <laughs> it was pre, pre-corona, basically. I don't know if it will ever normalize. And I'm not sure even if the world before was, was like, maybe it was a bit too good or too cheap, let's say. So I think the whole trend that shipping is more expensive and and you have a bigger incentive of bringing production a little bit closer to where you actually use the products and so on. I think that's all, like on a global level, that's all good. It creates problems for us, of course, but I don't know. I'm almost, I think the first half year I was frustrated with, now I see it as an entrepreneurial challenge almost. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so yes, we we have a ton of ideas and plans, but... Like, I think one one thing that's clear is bringing something like taking risks out by by removing shipping or dependencies on 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 Asia too much is is good whenever possible. But fact is also that like there's some like, I don't know, in China and Taiwan and so on, there's some really good manufacturing, like in a quality that you can't even get in Europe. So I think like that's also a fact. And if you want to get the best components sometimes that's that's where they are and then it's also fine like then it's not on us like we, we can try to that it's more built in europe again but that's also not our job but i think one one piece that's that's crucial for us is that because we build our own vehicle we can basically design components ourselves we don't need specific brands to be on our components right when you i don't know when you sell something in retail like people have certain expectations that I know the brakes should be Shimano because that's the best brand. And I mean, those are really good brakes. I don't want to say they are not, but if you're dependent on 
on those brands, it increases your supply chain pressure. And since our customers subscribe to a bike and if there's an issue with the brakes or with whatever, they can just get a replacement or get us to fix it. It's our it's it's our job to find components that are as good of quality and, and work as well. And for the customer, it's not as important what the brand is because they don't own it. So I think that's our advantage and that's what we will leverage a lot, hopefully. But yeah, let's see. <laughs> I'm curious where you see um, this company dance going ideally and then also yeah, what would happen for you ideally because, I mean, it's very personal, kind of more moving away from mobility as a question, but your first company still exists. It's fairly big, but you're not active there anymore. You were for a long time. So you basically built something up. I think you were also three co-founders. Mm -hmm. And then um, you eventually at some stage moved out. You started a new thing. Did that happen, by the way, actually right away? How much time was there in between? And do you kind of more or less foresee the same thing happening again? You like to build things initially. You take them to a certain stage and you are going to move out? Or where, where would this ideally go also for you? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, yes, the company I did before still exists. I'm still one of the major shareholders with my other two, two co-founders. So there was never an exit or something like that, which is, I don't know, the, the more typical story. Mm. So at the moment, I'm, I'm only at the board level, basically. But... So I did that company, Jimdo, for more than 10 years, I think 13 or 14. And I could probably give you like a ton of reasons why at a certain point I, I stepped out. Initially, it was, the idea was to step out for a bit, but then it became clear that, it's, that, it, that it makes sense that I step out completely. I would say the main reason, honestly, was after 13 years or so, I also, I needed a break a bit. I needed to see something new. I needed to also find out how it is to to have something new or to to do something new. And the company, I think, also needed a bit of a change. Like it's sometimes you feel like, okay, am I part of the solution or part of the problem? And not saying that I was a problem, but I think sometimes change also requires that that you 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 get a fresh perspective. And I'm not sure mm -hmm. I had that after 14 years in the in the best way possible for the company. So Anyway, it was kind of a smooth process, as, pro as smooth as it can be. But basically, two of us decided we will, we will step out of the day-to-day -day business. We, we found a great person to replace us. And then I actually, after that, I did nothing. Like, purposefully, I had no new business, nothing. I had two kids at the time, and we did a lot of traveling I bought an old farmhouse and spent a year renovating it so to to finally finally to do something with my hands which was not really <laughs> I don't know I wouldn't repeat that but it was definitely an experience anyhow we traveled a lot I spent a lot of time with my kids I was really kind of a full-time dad and then I would say after after a year or so I got kind of I got back into ah oh, I want to build something right I want to start something it's kind of that you have done it once, it doesn't go away. But it was more important to me what it was and with whom instead of just jumping at the next big thing. So mm -hmm. I advised some companies. I did some, you could even say, internships <laughs> at some companies and just looked looked around. But it took in total 
it took three years until I landed on the on the new thing, which I'm doing now with the e-bikes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it was a process. It's quite a hard process coming out of a company that was successful. It creates creates a lot of pressure because the new one has to be obviously better and cooler and more impact and all that. <laughs> <laughs> but also, to be honest, gives gives you some some advantages because you were able oh, to totally. have a lot of attention from the beginning and probably attract a lot of good talent who, who just um, think that you can yeah, stick to it and make something out of this. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, this is, this is really, I don't know, like even talent-wise also from, from funding-wise, if you do it for the second time, it's a lot easier to get started. It's almost, it feels almost unfair. Like how, much did like, you, God, how did you raise again in your first, or until now, let's say in the first year, year and a half? Uh, we raised... 36 million in total, yeah. I think, roughly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Before a lot, a lot of for, revenue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, and I think, I mean, what's what's cool is, is that that a lot of people believe in the market and the vision and the yeah. idea we have. And I think we get credit for that we have done it before. So there's trust that we can, that that we know how to build a company. And yeah, that's very appreciated, but also creates pressure, a good amount. <laughs> <laughs> We're basically all sitting here thinking this is, kind of an obvious thing that people are moving to bikes and e-bikes and so on. And, and like the world's moving to subscriptions and everything, you cite other industries, but what could be the biggest like reason why that might not turn out to be the case? Can you, can you imagine that? I think that we are also all part of a bubble somehow, and maybe there are some people doing it and your friends are, but in the end of the day, in five years or 10 years, it's like a niche phenomenon in cities. Why would that have happened? What could keep it from really going mainstream? Because so far, sharing of vehicles has not gone mainstream for sure. Most people and most cars, even in cities, are owned cars. Yeah. Do you do you talk about the subscription or the or why people wouldn't go onto e-bikes? Which both, one? Of those? Both is interesting. Both. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, first of all, I would say the biggest risk, like if you ask that way, for for this e-bike or bike movement in general, I think it's just that cities are stuck or like the, the mindset is stuck with cars and that that people who sit in the kind of planning and decision-making are still stuck in that, in that old or outdated, in my opinion, uh, mindset. So I don't think it won't happen. It will maybe just take a lot longer than, than we would hope or we would think. And then I think obviously, if you think really long term, is there like new fancy modes of transportation that I don't know that are not as cars, but I know whatever. Like I don't believe in flying taxis, but maybe it's I don't know underground uh, <laughs> pipes where you're pushed through or whatever it is. But yeah, it's anyway, it's I don't. Metaverse, so you don't need to move your feedback <laughs> uh, around at all anymore. But. Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think, I think, I mean, there's so many places where you can see that it's already happening, right? From Paris or like it's, it's just. And it's interesting that you as... land, you land on the regulator quickly. Basically, you think what might make this take longer is if people continue to prioritize cars, because I guess your assumption also from the first part, what you mentioned about sharing, why sharing isn't great if it's an everyday option necessarily, is like how easy it is, convenience. I guess it is more comfortable to sit in a warm seat of my own car with my own radio and whatever, if that is so easy to find a parking when I get there and basically for free. 
Yeah, and if you're not in traffic, right? I think that's the next, like parking and traffic. But yeah, if there would be no parking and no traffic, cars are awesome, right? Like from a comfort level. <laughs> so you think it depends um, on that to what, what cities prioritize? And what about the subscription parts? Subscription access versus ownership versus, yeah, just buying outright. Because in the end of the day, you, you said kick scooters maybe even make more sense to own. They are rather cheap. You carry it with you. Bike is also on that spectrum. Why do you think people on mass would not move to subscriptions? Um, <laughs> it's a tough question because I obviously highly believe in the opposite. But I mean, I would say it like, I mean, let's say bikes become maintenance-free and completely like very, very cheap, right? Yes, that 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 would be the biggest risk for us let's say it would also be a great thing <laughs> as, as long as the hassle around ownership is high enough then it still makes sense to move to a subscription um, and yeah. have basically a bike that takes care of itself that you don't have to repair or you know be all upset about if it does get stolen for example yeah exactly and i mean bikes are i don't know 100 years old older and mm. they are still not that so How should they move to that? But but yeah, I think it's more, I think the, the biggest risk may be coming, coming from a totally different direction. I personally believe that a lot of people will rather get a service instead of buying a product in, 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 in general. And I think that's definitely a bit in a bubble still, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, that's true for Berlin and Hamburg and for the people I hang out with in a way, but... When I go to smaller cities in Germany and talk to people there, they definitely want to buy stuff. And it's more of a status symbol in a way. And and I mean, I would say that the, the, the trend will continue that, that people want a service, but maybe that takes a totally different path and all of a sudden ownership becomes, I don't know, becomes cool again. It's good to own things. It's But at that point, be, you're going, going to have your superior bike that you put yeah, a lot of, R&D into and so you might as well just sell it. Yeah, <laughs> could be. I mean, I would, yeah, no, I don't <laughs> hope so, but, but yeah, true. Well, cool. Yeah, look, I think we all hope this is happening. We see it beginning to happen already. I think in my case, I was thinking about an e-bike, maybe trying out how that could be easier. I have a 10-kilometer commute here into the city, basically sometimes do it on bike. Not off, not very often, to be honest, because I want to arrive sweaty and Basically, having that subscription option made me now actually at least give it a try. So I think you're reducing the barriers to entry so much. Anybody who thinks that could remotely be an option can just try it out. If not, you give it back. You haven't spent, you know, one and a half thousand euros, two thousand euros, something on this e-bike. So correct. We're glad yeah. you're here now and get glad you're pulling the attention, extra attention onto the topic and accelerating mm -hmm. everything. Thanks a lot for yeah sharing some of your first impressions first learnings with us and yeah, looking forward to see how this really becomes more mainstream and dance becomes a brand thanks a lot <laughs> <laughs> was was a real fun conversation <laughs> talk to you soon cool thanks gonna bye bye <laughs>